Good morning, and this is Dr. T. Tevo DRC of the DFW Leader Ministry Fellowship. I think my name is an unusual, almost a unique quality, very rare Tevo DRC because it came into being through the years in my life before all the different multicultural people got together and started to develop bigger groups and clumps in America. And it's also a sign of people that are unique, that many people are mavericks out in the universe as well as in the Christian community. And we're going to go for it. We're just going to go for it. And we're going to teach people real respect for every office of every human being made in God's image. If anything, that's my message. That's my leader message right now. E-O-R-R. Sort of like Eeyore. Not spelled the same way. Remember Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh? He said a hangdog, so we don't want to be too weak or anything. But it was empathetic. It was soft. It was not tough and ready to have a fist fight at any, you know, tackle anybody if they didn't like your what you look like or your race or your sayings or whatever, your theology. So let's go back to E-O-R-R, equal opportunity, real respect for the office of every human being on the planet made in God's image, according to Psalm 139. And I was raised around equal opportunity, real respect in my family, my pastor father. No one said it with a title. You know, we weren't into that. But these days, you got to think about it and spell it out because it's so diverse. And also, people are not respectful. And I'm talking to the Christians here. I'm talking a lot, most of them, of the Christian community and the you-must-be-born-again community. My call is to them, to speak to them out of reverence for the founding fathers of the different kinds of moves in our country that made it great, black and white, north and south, east and west. And we say, God bless you and God protect us all from what's going on under the sun, under the name of Christianity, Christ-following And I don't think our parents, my father, might recognize all of us uh, because of what's going on with media and the Bible thumping and people back under the law and all this different stuff, competing, racism, you name it. So let's just say, according to 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people, says the Lord, who are called by my name shall humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and heal their land. Let's look around. Is our land healed? How about your corner? My corner isn't. So I think I'll work on my corner, let God work on me, and humble myself. In the, you know, For those that think the law has passed away, there are two different opposite groups out here that are working a lot of chaos. A lot of demeaning chaos to the name of Jesus. Ones who are lawless licentious, lascivious, they use people. They don't care about the relationships, even with the Lord, because they'll trade on his name or some good person that teaches the Bible and say they're under that kind of person on TV or in ministry or in DFW or where you live. And they'll use that for their own gainsay, their own achievement, their own perks or ministry or getting more. And so we don't want to be of that kind that is lawless, blame people, you know, blame shifting. Years ago in DFW, when I relocated, I'd never seen such in my life that goes under the name of Christ following certain kinds of Christians, Christian leaders, even grassroots. And I wrote this this just out of stress, but also because I am every day, the Lord and I have a great time. We have a lot of fun, no matter what I might think about, no matter what I might teach from and particular weird experiences. The Lord and I have a happy time and I will laugh. He'll tell me, put things in my heart that make me just sort of jumpstart my funny bone. And so one of these was started off after being the bunch of cast of characters that would apply to help that said they were ministry or that would be rip-off artists or people that I would try to meet with a pastor's fellowship with the, not a junior minister. The junior ministers were the ones applying to help that said they were Christians. But the senior ministers were the ones I was trying to fellowship to get accountability, to find mature fellowship, etc. And I just lost my husband, so I was single. Maybe that made people, I was naive. I thought, oh, they use people. They think they can get them when they're in a time of hardship. I didn't know that came into play. Now I do. 
I really do. So we teach now for the body of Christ, the servant leadership, a.k.a. called the godly remnant that's out there in certain places. And we respect all people. But listen, if you have not been respected, we certainly want to respect you, whether you're a believer in Christ, a Christian, a non-Christian or whatever, male or female, black or white, Asian, Hispanic or Caucasian or Eastern European, whatever. God bless you. All right. So I'm going to teach why about some of these things. So we have two kinds of chaos doctrinal Christians out there and the you must be, you know, that thump their Bible, preach, quote, God's word, his holy scripture, so to speak. One would be licentious, using, using God's word, manipulating, conning, and also not, maybe, I would think, avoiding verses that would cause them trouble, cause them any effort, such as relationship quality verses. So we teach relationship theology, respect all different viewpoints of Scripture, basically. You really do. However, we want to look at, in the popular day of what's on TV, affecting down here and transmitted out to who knows what, game-playing, fantasy, hoopla, we want to go back and say, well, what is this, that, or the other? What is honoring your father and mother, for instance? Is it over-honoring? taking 40 it's like I've seen some people honor the leader of the house the pastor the bishop and when God gets 15 20 minutes if that's all so we want to say there are many things that are transpiring today around the universe black and white that kind of thing that are really noticeable of teaching because of their doctrinal patterns that affect many people's view of Jesus of what real Christianity, Jesus Christ following, being born again is. So if we have the kind that is caustic and we say, look, there's the kind that, you know, if they steal your stuff and they avoid being confronted, which is part of the missing link of this, a lot of this relationship, real respect out in the field, if they refuse to honor and submit to God's quality word of Matthew 18, 15, 15 through 17, when a brother or sister sins, if they sin, if you think they're sin, then you are supposed to go humbly and go make an appointment, call them on your cell, get your secretary to do so, and arrange an appointment to one-to-one -one confront them. And I'm the kind that does that. On the other hand, if they, that verse continues, if they hide, avoid, duck, power play, and withstand, then you go take somebody else if not dismiss him from the church, the church. So when that happened to me out here, as never before, three different times in three different years, three different places, I thought, let's see, you know, that's my sign, a challenge to forgive, to see it prophetically, not personally, and also say, what is God? That may represent up to 40 people that are having it the same type of thing. I say that because back in the late 90s, early 2000s, before Texas, I was mentored by a pastor, an apostle who mentored me in TV. He edited my TV. He was like the father of helping me jumpstart my television ministry. And I was on a couple of places, real TV back then. During our chats, father-daughter, he would say things like, you know, when back then they said Nielsen ratings for TV knows which programs to get rid of, which ones to renew by the number of complaints. However, they know that statistically, scientifically, if one person complains one time, it stands for 40 people more who never took time and bothered to complain. If they hear from one person praising a program, they would say this counts as 40 who did not praise it. Let's, you know, add them in. So then when this happened later in the field... I just thought, well, if I see it one or two times, I think maybe it's a fluke. If I see it three to more times, 25 times, let's say I'll teach on it. So if it's a red flag, disrespect issue, and then doctrinal issue, I will teach on it. Because see, I never had that. One thing, when I grew up respected and cherished and valued by my father, a pastor and mother, I never knew of legalism. I didn't know these things existed, user ministry, anti-female chauvinist. I never saw it. They weren't back under the law. So therefore, it makes me very sensitive when I do find it 
because, and I get jumped in public or something every eight years, every seven years on this, in a Christian sense, in a Christian church sense, in a fellowshipping with the saints area sense. Then I think, well, uh, 40 people more. Hey, I don't like it. It feels terrible, but I'll recover. I'm strong because I know the Holy Spirit. God's given me grace, but I will also realize that this is what God sees because that's what he really told me. When I came out here and started to teach on apostles and prophets, my call that I brought back from the East Coast, that's when the hell came. That's when everything started to come. I started, I, I mean, every attack on every relationship in ministry, in my husband of 32 years, I thought would be forever. Everything came and then it came to money. It was always something about money. His money, their money, my stuff, they wanted it, covetousness, not refusing to give it back, playing around in ministry, thinking, oh, you know, and what I found was doctrine. And I would find that, you know, if they took, if I said, you can borrow the piano in a Christian ministry pastor's fellowship, not McKinney, not Denton. When I went around to try fellowshipping with the saints of a certain kind, out in the field, I would go, and then you meet people, and you think, oh, these people must be lovely, or else they would not be invited repeatedly, and I see them every time, every month. So they said, you know, I said, yes, you can borrow the Korg keyboard, a digital keyboard, $1,200. Oh, yes, just give me, give it back, or give me your tax receipt if you want it. So when tax time came around, I was trying to be the good steward, and I called up. I said, you know, I haven't gotten your tax receipt, but I haven't heard what you're doing, and they hid. So therefore, I tried again, no, no reply, ducked and avoided. So I go in relationship, respect, fashion, Bible fashion, submitted to God's whole counsel, respect, which is wise. I phoned them, and then that didn't work. So I went in Matthew eighteen fourteen, like the word says, to proceed. And I call their oversight, who invited them on the stationery and letterhead of a famous minister, to be honest. The famous minister is not about this, because that person has no clue what goes down two or three deep, because it's a giant group. So I went, and I said, would you please, I had to do email, because everybody's far, would you please go with me, this is what happened. To my shock, I get into my horror as a newbie, as a grieving widow, and, uh, you know, forced to divorce, but wasn't suspecting, thought I was in it for the long haul, a mature person, repair. I get this, this hasty, this note back, well, you need to forgive them. In other words, we're too busy. It doesn't really matter to us. Your relationship is not important. We have no fear of the Lord. And you're not acting sweet like baby Jesus. Add a little guilt. Why, you need to just forgive them. Omitting relationship quality, all Bible counsel of Matthew 18.15. You might want to add in Galatians 6.1. Galatians 6.1 by Paul says, if somebody is in sin, you go meekly, correct them. And that's what a lot of people either don't want or look at that relationship effort that it takes to get on your cell, make an appointment, have to show up, have to arrange it, and then be accountable to speaking it and keeping your own self-control, self-government, so that you don't get lash out at them and they don't attack you. It's a risk. That's why they're not doing it. And it takes time in the busy ministry of the United States. This is my thought. So it made me think, what is quality? Why aren't people wanting to go to church now? Hmm, all these things, chauvinism, area-wide, everything, everything is like you can't get anyone to talk to you unless you're in their church and join officially on the dotted line so they get their tithes, I guess. Uh, why you can't talk to them unless you have pay, pay them to talk to you or ask advice, pay and that's when I thought, I will never, I got free Wi-Fi, I mean, I've got free TV importation and training. I do a lot of TV, a lot of software. I said, I will never charge a pastor or leader of a ministry anything because I have had it dished out to me, you know, at the grassroots, not being famous. That's another thing. If I were famous, I don't think it would be like that. And you know what? It's never been the black church or any black human that I've felt this kind of doctrine disrespect in.
All right, let's go for what are we seeing? What are we talking about? Legalism, escapism, naive fantasy where it comes to God's holy word, ignorance, lack of love and licentiousness. That's one group. All right. So then we're going to get to the part of why are people maybe not wanting to fellowship with the saints? The other part is from using God's word to get away with things. That's why I have to teach it. It's that bad. It is that bad. All right. Then you have to know there's the people who use it to get what they want to keep control. And that's legalism. Legalism. Now, the old Tommy law. The Old Testament law is good. It was given to the Jews for a schoolmaster. We're for that. However, when you cross over from the garden, when it was no law, no sin, no rock throwing, no damaging, it was all relationship and the glory of God guiding it and ease, a shalom, peace. Everybody's heart always pure. When the devil comes, he comes in Genesis 3 with accusation. He comes with the realization after the couple sins that there is evil and they start to experience, they start to hurl, Adam starts to hurl accusation at his beloved wife, Eve. Then self-talk births, evil self-talk births in chapter 4 of Genesis with the, the weak, I guess, a weak, jealous, petty Cain, the brother of Abel, getting revengeful, getting jealous, and getting so angry that he loses his self-control. He doesn't really care if he has any, and he kills his own brother, murder. Therefore, all these things collectively grow, and the human race gets more populous, more evil abounds. The flood comes. God says, boy, I wish I hadn't even made them. Then he takes the his own people, the Hebrews' people, gives them the law, the Mosaic commandments, the Levitical law, the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and you can read the law, well then you have to look at what we see coming out of that. We coming out of that, the people had God, but they want a king. So they belly ache a lot. God said, all right, you can have a king. Well, then they get the king at Saul, of all people, oppressed, a cripple, emotionally weak. We get the prophets, we get the Psalms, but we get the prophets. And if you read the prophets carefully, they're always addressed in the nation of Israel to the leader, the high leader. They're addressed to the king. They're addressed to the priests and the princes. When I looked in the last several years, many years that I've been out here studying, what is this doctrine, caustic, vulture, Christ-following, phony, not loving, and then some pockets that are, no fear of the Lord, maybe 80% of ministry, not all, but what is going on? I've never seen such, and I've been around the body for all my life, loving the body. So I've inquired of the Lord, what about the doctrine? And he showed me a few things. Some were funny. Some were pretty bad funny, but funny. And I noticed that many people are getting what the preacher says on TV and mixing it up with their own religious spirit and their own immaturity and their own lack of good love and respect from parenting or for women male and female issues, so we can't put it on the high, highest doctrine founder originator. I agree that if you see some of the twisting and perversions, you'll think and want to blame them, prosperity maybe, or, you know, they're all the tongue talkers are bad, all the charismatics are weird, and all the evangelicals are hyped up, and everybody's racist, and all this blaming and accusation, I'm assessing. I am not criticizing. I'm reproving, rebuking, correcting, but I am assessing because I, I have a fondness for all these people. So now let's say instead of name calling, I'm calling doctrines out. I'm calling legalism, userism, but it's a relationship. It falls under abiding in James 3.17 representation or misrepresentation of Jesus Christ. When you want to read Jesus Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, it wasn't the gossips like now. All right, no rumors. We look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see the relationship in re abiding relationship theology was how Jesus acted and reacted to every kind of relationship he encountered in ministry, personal life, family, Mary, and then act like him. I won't go into that. All I'll say is that James 3.17, for checking the fruit, the spiritual fruit of relationships and ministry, family, yourself, me, 
other Christians, all right, would be the wisdom that represents coming from above is first of all pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And to the best of my ability, I always have tried to abide on and off stage in that manner, that demeanor, respecting all boundaries, all people, quietly. So if we think, why are people not going to church? I don't know why they're not going, said the Pharisee to the next Pharisee. Well, maybe you've got to go down to the relationships. It's not about the... And then what is the relationship, to be honest, what is the relationship with money and funding? I believe, I certainly believe that the relationship with money, my money, your money, their money, Christian money, I believe that the relationship with money is at the root of probably most or if not all the world's evil the bible talks about the love of money is the root of all evil well that sort of rolls off people's back because we've heard it all our lives young and old but let's say it this way the relationship how we handle it how we use it how we act around it how we let it spoil ministries and marriages and put a priority make us afraid speaks to us puts pressure on us the relationship with money, fear of having it, fear of not having it, having too much of it or, or displaying it licentiously, lasciviously, that is the bottom line of prosperity. What makes it real good, happy prosperity, Bible-centered, and then what is not. So we're going to talk on that, and we get to this, the two from such turn away fellowships, due to the doctrine, due to the chaos at the grassroots, trying out to find simply hang out with Christians, trying to abide by and submit to Hebrews 10.25, the command from Paul to do not forsake fellowship, fellowshipping with the saints, as I'd done all my life, I found that I couldn't really trust, trust them where I used to be, not McKinney. But I couldn't trust that kind of Christian, that kind of style and flavor. I just had to get out. And it was too much about making money or my money or or all that so you know and then I met the to the toxic Eli Temple I priesthood overworked they've upper management they'd seen it all done it all they'd gotten cost you know caustic tired busy make stereotypes they were jaundiced and I found there was no empathy there was a compassion fatigued high priesthood of Eli Temple high priesthood not big on relationships big on stuff and big on time-saving and they accused the lone woman who appeared grieving from afar they didn't care enough to go over there and show love of God's house office minister to go find out what was wrong Hannah's the mother of the first prophet of the nation of Israel was there he didn't know it he just thought we were drunk a troublemaking time waster as the Levitical patriarch stereotype appears to be so he didn't get up and go say, what's wrong, lady? Turns out, if he had, he would have. And he did change shortly after to give him credit. The other part, that the relationship with women, females, was not good in the house of Levi or his family, or the males in the family, the Levitical train under him. His two associate pastors, Hophni and Phinehas, were his sons, and Eli was over them, and everybody in town knew that both those sons slept with the women that came to the door of the temple, and they commandeered the offering for themselves, and they even put pressure on people to give them more, and Eli tolerated it. So that jaundiced, complicated view of Western Europe, well, it wasn't Western European, it was Levitical patriarchism, but also user of just getting tired in ministry, refusing to rise up and represent the Lord in a holy relationship, respectful, mindful fashion. Later on, if you read the whole chapter, maybe up to five, God sends an unknown prophet who's not famous out of the blue, comes out and warns Eli. He says, because of what's going on, the glory of God, Ichabod, the glory of God is lifted from this nation and you will die and so will your sons and there'll be no more Eli family high priesthood on my priestly lineage. Sure enough, that happened one day. As they're coming out, Hophni and Phinehas are slain. And then when Eli gets the news, he's so fat, overweight, that he falls off the bench and breaks his neck. 
So the word of the Lord came through through an anonymous, not famous, chosen vessel, the prophet. So we look at some of the symbolic teaching that we're covering up and talking about today about relationships, pure in heart and not, and bringing them to today, fellowshipping with the saints. How come some people at a national level headlines are falling away? And that's what we want to say. The Eli Temple High Priesthood, I watched and I noticed and I would hear it and I would just observe it time after time, different places, different groups. Many different groups. I would think the fruit is I heard it in Virginia, I heard it back here. And it was like, oh, it's their fault. We gossiped about them, we avoided confrontation, we avoid being held accountable, we're disrespectful, we do things that we should not, and when they try to confront us and we hide from them, they leave. However, later we're talking about them and we judge them as one, critical spirits. They are out of rebellion. They're sinning by not going to church anywhere. They are in rebellion to our form of legalism and all these types of things. Blame shifting, accusing, blame shifting. So back to what I wrote. After some of my experiences in the Deep South, I wrote Adventures in Blame Shifting dot wordpress dot com for this kind just as a spinoff to relieve you know mind candy so adventures in blame shifting dot wordpress dot com the theory is the just shall live by faith while the self-justifying live by avoidant blame shifting relationship deals relationship no wonder we're teaching on relationship theology abiding relationship theology is our brand and in, ab- abiding in James 317 relationship theology and you can look at the website relationshiptheology.org let's go to what some would say that would be in the caustic version of priesthood today in the New Testament sense they would say this verse has happened we've heard this verse prophesied so when all those people are leaving the churches in America down at the grassroots, hey, it's not our fault. We have nothing to do with it. We're getting persecuted. It's not our fault. It's their fault because we were told and warned in this verse would happen. Here's the verse, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. And here it is, the famous verse. This also know that in the last days perilous times shall come. That's true. For men, that means humans, men and women, For people will be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and holy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent. That means no self-control. No self-control of their actions or words, mouths, or addictions. Fierce, they'll be despisers of those who are good. They'll be traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, the command, from such turn away, and we have. But we have to think, what is being going, what is really being revealed now at this point in life, in history, in this verse, is it about only the, quote, sinner, the non-Christian, the Christian backslider, the, quote, infamous church hopper that everybody marvels about in too many places for the sake of, you know, it's not good doing good to Jesus' name. But, all right, we hear this picture of really the last perilous time where all these accusers, boasters, disobedient, all these things go on, and these are relationship issues. Study this. Lovers of self, a relationship, me-centric, we-centric, etc. Covetous, I want what you got, your stuff, you got more, I'm going to get mad at you, or take it. Boasters, egocentric, proud, snooty, snobbery, superior, blasphemers, a bad relationship with God in their mouth, acting rebelliously. Disobedient to parents, no respect, disrespect to their hierarchy, to their father and mother, their their authority. Unthankful, ungrateful, unholy, without natural affection. All this, you got to go back for yourself. 
2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, all these are relationship big quagmire issues. And I'm pointing this out to the non-believer Christian who thinks, oh, we're doing so great, it's the devil's fault. I'm talking not to the non-Christian on every broadcast. They're welcome to listen. I invite them. I respect them. Fine. But we got to make our point only to the you must be born again Bible believers because they're the ones that are doing this. In the sake of Jesus' name. So it says all these people can fall into the category of Christianity, even ministry. And that's what we were shocked. I'll be honest, I was horrified when I found this was representing Jesus in a lot of ministry leadership who could quote, Oh, we're having faith for you. Oh, yeah, we believe the Bible. But they left out and omitted anything to do with real relationships and even real respect and even honor and even authority that was not just like their authority. They were legalistic. So it says when you read this criteria and they're that bad, that accusing, that ornery, it says there is a command for you that are pure in heart. You just turn away. You better turn away. It'll affect your children. It'll affect your life. You'll get a crippling attack from one of these people. Your character is assassinated. It'll take you weeks or years to get over it. All right. They've got mind-blinding spirits. All right. Here's how you do it, though. I know some people, and I'm going to teach cautiously, if you want to use this, some shallow, immature person... Christian says, oh yeah, I don't have to go there because they did something like this. Yeah, I saw them do it two or three times. I'm talking to mature people. If you have gone there, you see this going on in the fellowship, you have forgiven them, you've walked the extra mile, you try to upfront confront in a respectful Galatians 1, Matthew 15, 18, 18, 15 manner. They refuse. Your children are now getting polluted. Your teenagers are in rebellion because of this horrible stuff. People are just acting out, and it's a caustic environment, and you've given it your best try, and you're not a complainer. You just know it's God saying, I better get out of this place. It's a from such turn away fellowship. Man, the legalism, the lack of love, and no community, just about rules and them. Then you know you have the freedom of Christ to do it. The other one, the other kind of from such turn away fellowship is in... 1 Timothy 6, 6. Now, when I teach, I'm going to teach abiding faith. I'm going to teach applying faith, really. Applying faith. I'm not... It's out of word of faith, but with selective, careful avoidance of excess or ignorance. I respect and honor all the ones who teach it from the top. I respect and honor and listen to some of the ones like Kenneth Hagin... Kenneth Copeland, top ministry flow, but I don't ever do it without being a noble Brian, just like I would do with your doctrine or any other doctrine. I also know that a lot of people that I've hung around with at the grassroots for years and decades, when this movement came out, there was a lot of TV added mixture and immature, and people had not paid the price like Kenneth Hagen or Kenneth Copeland or some of these people, and I don't know how they operate up there with them. I'm not in their ministry. But I say I pick and choose, and then I develop my doctrine based on my heart, God showing me confirmation, and then making sure it's not materialism, egocentric, me-centric, not racist. And I also say, is it covetous? Is it lascivious? Is it materialistic and out of balance in that fashion? In fact, I teach the opposite. I say pick and choose, hay and stubble keep what's good. There's a lot more good than bad. It's not what they do, the top people. It's what happens. The foundation is usually really healthy. They have the fear of the Lord. But when you get TV and people interpret it and third generations on down, and then the young people pick it up and the fellowship people all know it all because we all think we, you know, temptation to know it all these days. That's when you get immaturity and rip off. And then if you don't which all these people just didn't have time. All these people didn't know what would happen in society with the disrespect and accusation and leadership weirdness and the off doctrine, and they didn't know that there'd be shepherding, and they didn't... I didn't know all this stuff. We all make mistakes. So choose the hay from stubble and then make your own doctrine. 
but don't condemn the top leader. I'd be very careful about that. I am very careful about that. I will only go to the people I meet, my peers at my age. Now, my age is an old age. I don't want to think about it. I don't. I, I don't feel old. I feel inner 28, and I live 28. I just feel joyful. But when I can pull it out as a sword, I will. And I'm around. If you look at some of these movements that are famous, I'm not as old as Kenneth Copeland and Kenneth Hagin's Up With the Lord, but some of the ones on down, like Benny Hinn, I've been around them as their age. I'm age as some of these prophets, big prophets around. I'm the same year. Same famous of mega churches. I'm the same age. And it was not famous. It was not elevated. I am not into putting anyone down or pulling anyone up. I'm into saying what is really clarity in the grassroots. What is the every man thinking when they think of Jesus? They turn on TV. They see the doctrine. They see the covering talk. They discover Jesus from another nation, the youth. I want to know what it is that's great about Jesus, and let's start with that. I started with being a Baptist. It wasn't like you cared if you were a Baptist. You just wanted to do what God said and follow the Bible. I got into Jesus people, and I'm still like that. I guess I'm more like Jesus people. And if you want to say, and see the Eli High Priesthood today, if you say correction, when I tried to speak up and to, you know get my things back a few times with this kind of group, if you try to upfront corrupt, upfront confront, or you want to correct, or you want to do what Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen says, which is at the very end of this chapter about the falling away from such turn away fellowship. Ironically, it says that God's holy word is is to be is profitable for instruction, for doctrine, for reproof for correction so that every man and woman will be thoroughly furnished. That's a protection. But I'm saying if that is being now that if you correct, if you want to reprove, if you want to be strong, if you want to make a point that doctrine, they have the exact, they've got it down. They rationalize, oh, he or she is not being sweet like baby Jesus. Oh, we don't have. We can avoid them. They're not. Uh oh. They've got bitter roots. Uh oh. They must have some unforgiveness. That's. I made a whole paper on that once because it was so frustrating. If you say anything that is relationship theology oriented up front, you want to confront it. You want to make sure that they're being held accountable. That's when this started. I noticed there's a running from. There's a running away from truth in that doctrine. So I thought, well. Wow, if they're accusing people of not being sweet like baby Jesus when the person was ripped off and they ignore the person that was ripping people off and go after you because you're just trying to be following Matthew 18 and Galatians 1, then something is rotten somewhere. So we look at our proof. I have thought that's why I go back and forth with doc, with Bible verses. Man, these people are sharp. These people know how to tweak God's word to get their way and what they want out of it. That's why I call it licentious user ministry. Not all are like that, but I'm having to say it because no one's speaking up. Do we forgive them? Yeah. Do we want them to repent so they know the truth and be a good witness and effective? Because a lot of them are really gifted, really talented. Yes, we do. We want the best for them. But right now, I care more about the unbeliever, the the newbie, the real Christian that I do them. Alright, so we look at the second from such turn away fellowships. These are your out. The unknown scriptures that said when it's that bad relationship ornery over a period of time and you've tried to walk it out, you've forgiven them, you have no bitter roots toward or anger, but you know it's really safety and God's escape hatch, then you leave. I wrote emergefromchurch.wordpress.com. Feel free to send in a comment if you ever experienced this so that people don't think I'm just the only one. dfwleader at gmail.com. All right. The good news, I've never had so much fun in my life once I got out of the caustic Christ falling crowd. I've never had so much fun. It is a joy. I love it. Meeting more people, fellowshipping more all the time. Just not under the law. All right, let's go to Second First Timothy six six. It's about relationships. All right, it says count. 
let as many of you servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of honor. That's a relationship thing. That the name of God and his doctrine, his doctrine may not be blasphemed. What is blasphemed? Take the Lord's name in vain or curse it out. Use it as a cuss word, a bad symbol for a vanity. And that's what we're saying. I thought many times during this process of the Deep South, I, I recall thinking, man, saying you are a Christian pastor, saying you are a tongue talker, a Bible believer, quoting the famous preacher you say you're under, male or female, I went, that's taking God's name in vain. That's the same as breaking a commandment, do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I will not hold them guiltless, those that take my name in vain. And I thought that's the same thing, so I'm saying it out loud. Also, if you say you're under brother so-and-so, famous hero so-and-so, bishop so-and-so, apostle so-and-so, then you better walk the walk and talk the talk like they live their life. They're not hustling, using, to my knowledge, you know, nobody knows for sure. All right, here we go. We're looking down First Timothy 6, 6. Talks about the person working for the masters, the brethren. Let's get, let's see. It's get, it gets meaty. If any man teaches otherwise and consents not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine, which is according to godliness. That's us. Let's study that one on our own, everybody. Take that one. What is the doctrine according to holiness? Godliness. Not self-righteousness, not holier than thou, be, beating people down and calling them sinners across the way, you know. But what is the doctrine according to godliness? If you want to write it or send me a short MP3 with a link, I might listen to it and feature you. I love to hear other people's opinion. But I don't want fighting. It has to be James 3.17. All right. Here's where we get it. It says, if they will not consent to doctrine according to godliness, then that person is proud, knowing nothing, but doting. That means hanging out, doting about questions and strifes of words. I'm doting on it. That means I just, you know, enjoy the comfort of that sleazy feeling. And it's so comfortable not to be under conviction, just to be licentious, lascivious, have my own way, not pay attention to God. Oh, God is so good, but, you know, he didn't mind if I do all this stuff all the time. So that person, he or she is proud, knowing nothing, doting about questions and strifes of words, really into their points. Where, uh, wherein comes envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth supposing here's what we're zeroing in on they're supposing this kind the perverse proud godless they suppose that gain is godliness and then there's this command from such withdraw thyself added this admonition but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world we shall take nothing out of it Therefore, with food and raiment, let yourself be content. And there's more on that. Let's zero in first to clarify. So we have a person that says, God says, using Paul in the book of Timothy, it says there is a group of people, a bunch, maybe a big bunch in ministry, that say that they have the doctrine but it's not according to God's doctrine, which is a, God, doctors, a doctrine of godliness, and that that person who has this displays that is proud, knowing nothing. So be careful. Dotes around questions may seem like high intelligence, but really they're filled with angry, they're filled with envy, strife, railings, that means fighting to prove their point. See, this is right here is the opposite of James 3.17. This flavor, the speech, the technique, the style of their day is the opposite of James 3.17. James 17 is every wisdom that says it's from above. Any wisdom that says it's from God is, first of all, pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. This kind of group says their fruit is strifes, envy, railings, evil surmisings. They mean they think that 
They believe the evil report. They, they can't wait to taste the juicy gossip coming down the apostolic pike. This is Christians now. There's perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. That means they get in the flesh. They get angry. They get maybe a little dirty. Who knows? But they're off. And they're not under the Holy Spirit. They're destitute of the truth. That means dry like a desert of real truth. They suppose, they presume, they just think, oh yeah, because we got accolades, perks, fancy mansions, cars, people that wait on us, women that do our bidding, servant, all the many we could ever want. Man, we got it made. We must be pleasing God. So they teach and they suppose that godliness, a sign of being godly, is to have gain, is to have material wealth and possessions. I do not believe that. I know that's not true. So it says, that's another group, this kind of group, style group, you turn away. A command from such, turn away, and I have. I believe that godliness is great gain. Verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I practice that almost every day. I really do. I've never had so much joy and freedom and love in my life, my long life, because of that. Man, I was grown up, I was sort of grown up with godly contentment and great gain. We weren't real wealthy. No, we had emotional health. That was the wealth. We had emotional health and all our needs met. And both my parents stayed together. That was shockingly rich. <laughs> but other for that, deep bank account, no. <laughs> In this day and age when there's so much fluid teaching up and down the scale, what is the right Christian teaching on money? I've made it that conscience is your guide. You can take all these people online. They're always saying, you know, prosperity this, is this good? And some of it is really good quality. And then others say prosperity teachers are evil and I'm not going to be part of them. And they're proud about it almost. It's like they're, you know, they're like, it's like blaming them. You know, in other words, there's no teaching of modest what is prosperity that people can use both the wisdom and caution of not being fooling around with it. And getting into too much money and materialism and covetousness, greed, licentiousness. And what is true? People really need money. Use the principles. That's what abiding faith is. We want you to have enough money so you can give it away, but enough so you can have a bank account. And the Bible teaches have enough to save for your children's children. The wise man has enough, a wise woman has enough to save for their children's children. I'm still working on that. All right, so the idea is when you come to abiding faith over here, We'll pick the good hay and stubble to, for years and years of teaching and boil it down to this. And I've had black and white pastors are my model for this. All right. It is my opinion today, and I submit it from Tavo Darcy, Christian Leadership, DFW Leader Fellowship. It is my opinion that submission to God's whole counsel is wiser than not. It is my opinion that if you use the word prosperity over here, we want organic Bible, shalom, prosperity, nothing missing, nothing broken, like in the garden. You won't really get it 100% in every area, but you can get a higher level of quality in life by hanging out with Jesus, learning his ropes, you know. However, if you want to say technically what I really stand for when I teach about money, when I take in money, when I believe in having faith for money, applying my faith for finances, funding, it, it will be the following. I believe organically you are to go to God. You are to say, God, how much, how big, what kind of possession, what kind of land, what kind of uh, car, what kind of ministry, dresses, suits, whatever. What do you really want for me as my version of myself packaged by you? What is, what do you really want for me? And the Lord in you, because you have choices, you have things that you really want. God wants you to have your heart's desire and have fun, not just work. You can make a list and say, you know what, all these things, Lord, I feel good about. I feel safe. I feel I'm not coveting. I'm not greedy. I'm not licentious. I'm not materialistic. But they're quality because my God says that I can have my needs met plus. And then you and the Lord work on that gift and work out your own salvation. It's not my business. Whatever you want. If you want to drive a Range Rover, a Hummer, or whatever. It used to be Hummers, but now it's Range Rovers. I don't even know what it is because I don't keep up. 
But whatever it is, be yourself. And no matter what anyone says, if they like it or not, accuse you or not, you do it because you're doing it right with your conscience clean before the Lord. The same with the person who says, I don't want to own anything. There are people in the Christian community now that have faith. They don't care about stuff. They want to have maybe a fishing boat, a double wide trailer. Maybe they just want to live in a hotel and give all their money away and feed the poor and Maybe they don't really care about clothes. That's their choice. So we're not putting them down. That's their organic prosperity between God and them. It's not my business. What their ministry is not my business. My business is, is it true? Is it honest? Is it James 3.17? Is it abiding in the word? Is it relationship respect with God and the relationship with money? And then I want you to be profitable in every need supplies. We have need of prayer. Our need is really big time, more prayer. There's so many things that when I went through, you know, some things out here, relationship issues, Christian type relationship issues, some are not Christian. They said they were. I have not been able to focus on all the things like a workbook for prophecy, spirit of prophecy, and our music business, our music tent making side. So that's what we have need. And then we're going to go out to evangelists. The Lord has told me after all I'm saying that it's time now to be ready to move out and go around speaking to the you must be born again Christians to evangelize them. That's the group, black or white, green or purple. A lot of them don't have hope. A lot of them are good people, sound people. And then a lot of them are just, who knows, wrapped up in the wrong aspect of what Christ following is. And we know a lot of those, many more of those. So we don't want to be in crazy medic movements. No, no, I'm out of the charismatic movement as of 2012. After what I found, I don't want to be involved. I speak in tongues if I need to, if I want to. But I'm not a controller, a dominator. I'm not coming to do that. I can I hang with Methodists. Oh man, the Methodists have been when I had my issue of in Denton, uh, something happened and attacked in my affected my and my car really needs help. So that's the need as a prayer for a big vehicle, like a new a new car, because we gave the old one to the Lord. It's still here, but it's it needs to have an upgrade so I can camp and be with the homeless at times, haul stuff, a truck, a ram, dodge, brand new truck fully maxed so I can camp in it, go to these meetings to speak and evangelize the must-be-born-again types. All right. But the idea is that God, it's prayer is the main thing, and opening the doors and relationships. That's it. God has always moved me around. He can do what He wants to do. But it's a relationship thing, and our worship is like helping people who have been abused or in false authority and just need time to heal. A lot of things I've found with my doctrinal research, and i got to quit, is that people don't understand that a person's been in a trauma, raped, if they were abused violently, if they were just horrible neglect, whatever they went through, for, it was like being in prison. It, it will take years to really be healed, and worship helps advance it quickly. But then people need to be at a pace. You don't have to do anything if you don't feel like it. You don't have to come if you feel terrible. If you can't stand people, you can at least tune in online, and we want to be there for people like that. I used to be, until the last eight years, was Psalm, 130, Psalm 143. I lived that. I was like, abused and repeatedly for years and was strong in the Lord, but really it took a toll. So we're for the people and not complaining if you're not perfect. We're not going to do that. I got to go because the time is up for this podcast. This is Tavo Diarcy of Tavo Creative Leadership. Uh, Say a prayer, keep in touch and send us your prayer request. God loves you. You have favor with God and him. So now have favor with yourself with his help. God bless you. Signing off for now. Tavo.